I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I put a title on the board about what I'm teaching on. What I'm teaching on is what the Pharisees did 2,000 years ago in the world that Jesus lived in. False doctrine of the American preachers. Now, let me make it clear what doctrine means. It's the word didache or didascalia. That's the word doctrine in the New Testament. It means instruction. So the false instruction of American preachers today is the same as the Pharisees in the world 2,000 years ago. You could call this part two. I taught on the same thing the last time I taught. But you cannot, you cannot, uh, uh, you cannot preach this fully in one message. You can't full preach it fully. The Bible has got two doctrines in it. It's got true doctrine, true doctrine, which is the doctrine of Christ, and it has false doctrine, true doctrine. But the false doctrine has. It has a Jesus in it. It actually has another Jesus in it, another spirit, another gospel. That's what Paul said. Men were coming to Corinth in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and he said they're preaching another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. Whatever the Jesus is, it says the other Jesus is Satan. It actually says it's Satan that looks like Jesus. It says Satan transformed into an angel of light. And his apostles are apostles of Satan transforming themselves into the apostles of righteousness. Transform metaschematizo meta s c h e m a t i z o. It means to disguise oneself. I keep saying this: Satan does not come wearing a red spandex suit. Let me put disguise on here. He doesn't come wearing horns. Horns on his head and a red stretched out suit and and uh, have hooves on his feet. That's not the way he comes. And he doesn't have a tail sticking out the back of him. That's not the picture of Satan. That is a man's imagination about... It actually comes out of the study of Nimrod when... When supposedly that <clears throat> Nimrod went out and killed a great bull and put the tail around his waist and tied the hooves around his feet, put the horns upon his head. Everywhere you find horned men, whether it's the Vikings or whether it's the American Indian wearing the bull horns, that's where that comes from. It comes from the same source. Well, what they did, the Pharisees took God's law. And they twisted his law 
they took the law. It's really amazing. This law that they took, they were scattered. Northern Israel was scattered. Northern Israel was scattered all over the face of the earth in 722 B.C. They were scattered by the Assyrian Empire. And the reason northern Israel was scattered because northern Israel was headed up by the ten northern tribes. Ten northern tribes. There were twelve tribes in Israel. And you can find these twelve men, which were sons of Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel in that in the Genesis the thirty second chapter when he's coming back from the land of Haran, God struck him down by an angel and he said, What is your name? He said, Jacob means heel catcher, one who trips people up. And he said, From now on your name will be called Yisrael Y I S R A E L. We call it Israel means to prevail with God. Well, that was the ten northern tribes. They were carried away mainly because an evil that one of their kings did. And the king that did the evil was none other than Ahab. And you'll find his evil that he did and why God carried him away. You'll find that happening in First Kings the 16th chapter. <clears throat> and they were carried away into what we would call Assyria. To the Assyrian Empire. They were carried away and that was when they were northern Israel Northern Israel was headed up by the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim was the second born son of Joseph. Joseph was the eleventh son of Jacob, eleventh son. And northern Israel was carried off like from northern Israel, just about the middle of Israel, or a little bit further down into maybe two thirds down into Judah, and they were carried off up here between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea, and that above that is what we call Russia. So they were carried off up here between the Caspian and the Black Sea. And all up in here is where they were. They migrated up here into Russia, and southern Judah was carried away. They were carried away into captivity, it's amazing to me, everybody knows about the bondage of Israel, but they don't know about the captivity. The bondage was 400 years. And that happened from Joseph being carried away. Actually, it didn't start with Joseph. It started in Exodus, the first chapter, when the Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph 
rose up and he saw the Jews were multiplying at such a great weight, he put them all in bondage. He didn't want them to take over Egypt. They were they were put in bondage and they were in bondage from Exodus the first chapter unto Exodus the twelfth chapter. Well that was just the bondage. The the carrying away of northern Israel and southern Judah, Judah was comprised of two tribes. They took southern Israel and named it after the tribe of Judah. They named southern Israel, they called southern Israel Judah, which was the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Judah was the fourth son of Jacob. Benjamin was the twelfth son. This is the fourth and the twelfth son of Jacob. And there's a reason for that. In the tribe of Benjamin, over here on this map, you can see in this map over here, you can see that Jerusalem is in the tribe of Benjamin. Therefore, the temple was in Jerusalem. So therefore it was necessary that God put put the Benjamin with the tribe of Judah in order for the temple to be in Judah. So the tribe of Judah was all this southern part. Simeon was put right in the middle of Judah. He was such a rebellious. He was the second born son of Jacob and he was the guy who got Levi in cahoots with him to go and kill Hamar and his son Shechem because Shechem had had a sexual affair with Jacob's only daughter, Dinah. And so they went over and killed him, and it was Simeon that did that. Simeon was the second-born son of Joseph. So it's not like Israel... When you quote Romans 8:29 or you quote over there in Romans 9 starting in verse 18 or 13 where God loved Jacob and hated Esau before either one were born before either one had done any good or evil and people as an answer to that they'll say well God loved Jacob because he was a good man Jacob was everything but a good man and he, before they were born before he had done any good or evil People try to make the excuse and say, well, they hadn't done any evil. If there's anybody that did any evil, this man had killed many. He's a murderer. I believe that's why he put him right in the middle of the tribe of Judah, because he was a killer. He was short-tempered. He always wanted to have his way. And he was the second-born son of Jacob. Now, I, and there's much more to talk about on that, but I don't have time to do that. Now, southern Judah was carried away into captivity by the Babylonians. And and how long were they in captivity? They were in captivity for 2,600 years. From the time they were carried away in 586 B.C. until May the 14th, 1948. That's how long they were in captivity. It's really funny. Everybody knows about the 400 years in bondage, 
but you hardly ever hear a preacher talking about the 2,600 years in captivity. And their captivity has everything to do with two things. What they had done while they were a kingdom, they had ignored God's commandments and His laws. In fact, where did they get the laws? Well, they got them from Moses. Before they became a nation under kings in 1 Samuel. They didn't become a nation until under kings until 1 Samuel, the ninth chapter, where God picked out a man out of the tribe of Benjamin. His name was Saul. Always keep remembering the king has to come out of Judah. You can find this in the 49th chapter of Genesis. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, which is a form of Shalom, until peace comes, and that's another title for Christ, till Shiloh come. Therefore, and to him, to Judah, will the gathering of the people be. So it has to be Judah where they gather to. So when the people complain in the 8th chapter, say, give us a king that he may rule over us, And Samuel warns them, if God gives you the king, he'll cause your sons to be carried away and they'll go into battle and 50 of them will run before chariots into battle and uh, he'll give them all spears and swords and, and bows and arrows and they'll be killed in battle. And your daughters will be taken and used for bakers and confectioners in his palace and you'll never see them again. Why do you want a king when God, the living God, has got lightning bolts and earthquakes and floods to wash these people away with. They said, we don't care, we want a king. But you got to remember, 40 years, or let's say close to 400 years under judges right before that, and before the 400 years were 40 years in the wilderness. When they're in the wilderness and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, God says, you tell these people, if they go after other gods, if they go after other gods, I will send four judgments, the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and then I'll send the beast, and the beast will be the Babylonians. Jim, I thought you said the Assyrians would carry northerners away. Assyria was the same thing as northern Babylon. Same thing. So, they will carry you away if you go after other gods. That's exactly what the king of northern Israel, a man named Ahab, Ahab was one of the wickedest men that ever lived because he did exactly what God says don't do in that 16th chapter of 1 Kings. 16. Ahab... He's messing around. His palace was, you have to know where his palace was. His palace was up here. Let me see here if I can. His palace was in northern Israel. Northern Israel, right up close to the border of Tyre and Sidon. Let me see if I can find a better map for you. His palace was up 
at Carmel. And he was right on the border of Tyre and Sidon. Somebody evidently had a party one night, and he ended up going up there. This is this is Israel here. Let me get a better map than that. Here is Sidon. Israel is on the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea, right here. Israel was a coast. It was a coast nation. It was on the very coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And Ahab's palace was up here in northern Israel, right on the border of Sidon. Sidon was where they worshipped Baal in the grove, and the head of that worship was Ethbaal. Ethbaal was means with Baal, and his daughter was Jezebel. Notice B E L on the end of her name; that meant confusion. Confusion. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, and she, and somehow, Ahab is up here. Mount Carmel is up here, right close to the border of Sidon. Somehow he saw her one night at some party or gathering and said, Boy, she's a hot woman, and I want her. Oh, she was probably really good looking because Ahab had his choice of all the women in Israel because he was king. And he marries Jezebel, and she brings her gods, Baal in the grove, down into northern Israel when she marries Ahab and she builds temples for Baal and temples for the grove, Baal and grove. She builds temples for them. And when that happens, the Levites, they're not numbered with Israel. The Levites, you'll notice... There are no Levites that had any inheritance in Israel. They were the third son of Jacob. And they became the priests throughout all the land. So they lived all over the land. And it was required of these people where they lived to give them a tract of land so they could farm it and have their foodstuffs and so forth. So they had to give a place for the Levites to live and they had to pay their tithe to the Levites. So that's how they lived. But they lived all over Israel. So, so you end up and the Levites that were in northern Israel at that time, they said, if you're going to do this and go after these other gods, we're leaving. They head out and go to southern Judah. Therefore, the the gods of northern Israel was Baal in the grove. Actually, that was the fire god and the tree goddess. The tree goddess. That is the Christmas tree, whether anybody likes it or not. Now, that means... What does that mean? That means when the Bible says in Revelation 17... 17 and 5, that Babylon was the mother. She gave birth to all harlotry, all idolatry. 
and she nurtured all idolatry. Therefore, if Babylon was the mother of it all, then all idolatry that's going on in the New Testament, all the idolatry that's in Israel comes out of Babylon. It came out of let us make us make us a name. When you're out to make yourself a name, you want your own shim, your own authority, and you want to practice that. Now, this is this is why Israel was scattered. I've given you all this. I can't hardly teach anything without telling you how Israel was scattered. They were scattered because they went after Baal and the grove. That's what they went after. And that's why they were scattered and they were they were brought over into Babylon. You gotta keep it separated. Let me say something, maybe I hadn't said it clear enough. Now when Israel was scattered, northern Israel was scattered into to Syria. And that was the ten northern tribes. They were scattered in Assyria. And they're called the ten lost tribes. When God brings Israel back over after Babylon is scattered... After Babylon scatters Israel, nor, but it's actually southern Judah or southern Israel. After their breakup and they're scattered, they're scattered as two nations. They're actually sister nations. They're all part of the same nation. Babylon scatters the ten lost tribes, or the ten scribes of ten tribes of Ephraim. They're also called Samaria. Anytime you see Samaria mentioned, Samaria at one time was a town in northern Israel, but Samaria became an identity for the whole nation of the ten northern tribes. And it was led by Ahab, and Ahab is the guy that started the scattering because he brought in false worship into Israel. And that's the same thing that was brought into the church in 325 A.D., 325 A.D. and renamed the Feast of Saturn of the Roman paganisms. It renamed the Feast of Saturn the Roman Catholicism, a Roman Catholic Church. And Constantine brought that into the church. If he brought these gods, I really tried to emphasize this, and I don't know if everybody's really gotten a hold of it. If he brought the same gods into the Catholic Church, that, let me get back to where I was. All right, if he brings the same thing into the Catholic Church, that's called Christ's Mass. Let me say this again. When Constantine at Rome 
was about to, he thought he was going to lose the empire. He had two major problems. He had the Christians wouldn't settle down. They kept standing up for Christ. He kept slaughtering them. The the emperors kept slaughtering them. And no matter what they did, they could not stop Christianity from growing. So he said, what I'll do, and he had a problem with Christians, and he had a problem with pagans. See, I believe that Constantine was a pagan himself, but the heavy-duty pagans were the, were the Goths, and the Visigoths and the Ostrogoths and the Burgundians and the Vandals and the Celts and all of these these uh, hordes that were rampaging. Here's the Huns here rampaging from the Far East and they were just attacking everything in their way and he thought they were going to attack Rome and overthrow Rome. Well, he said, I've got to bring their gods into the church at Rome under the name of Christ Mass that has been has been the Saturnalia or the Feast of Saturn, the Saturnalia. So he simply changes the Feast of Saturn or the Saturnalia into Christ Mass and tries to amalgamate all these pagans with the with the apostate church at Rome and said, now Christians, you can come into the church, you can join the pagans in here, and you can all be a part of the same system and we'll all get along and all of you can run for office. But that didn't stop the Romans and anyone who took over after them from persecuting the Christians because they did. So, Israel was carried into Babylon. They were in Babylon, and it's only southern Judah that is released from the captivity. Northern Israel was never really uh, officially released from the captivity. That was the ten northern tribes. That's why they were called the lost tribes. Jesus told his apostles, I don't want you going unto the Gentiles. I want you to go to the lost tribes of Israel. That would be the people in northern Israel and preach to them. Well, they were they were carried away by the Babylonians. And when they were over here in Babylon, I've said this before. Let's see if I can make it quick. They said, we need a religion over here. Now, what really gets me? What gets me is they came up with, they said, we've got to take the Torah from over here in Israel. And the men who came up with it, they called themselves rabbis. Now, they may be trying to patter themselves after the priest in Israel or the Levites, Levites, the sons of Levi, and we'll get the word Leviticus from their name, means the laws of the Levites. And they wanted to somehow start the religion over that they had lost over here in Israel. When the Babylonians came in, you can find the Babylonians coming in to carry northern Israel away in first King or Second Kings. 
the 17th chapter. You can find Babylon coming in to carry southern Judah away in 586 in Second Chronicles, the 36th chapter, and in Second Kings, the 25th chapter. It'll give you basically the same story in both of those accounts. Both of those accounts right there. That's southern Judah being carried away. You could also find that in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the last prophet to prophesy to Israel that Nebuchadnezzar was coming from the east. He's going to carry him away. He was the last prophet. He prophesied for 40 years and he walked the streets of Israel and said, Nebuchadnezzar's coming. I'm going to carry you away because of what you did while you were a nation. You went after Baal and the grove and Shemash and Molech and all the gods of the nations around you. You went after Rimmon of the Syrians. You went after uh, Isis and Osiris of the Egyptians. And God's carrying you away because of that, because of his promises to Moses when he said, tell them if they go after other gods, I'll carry them away. And these are the same gods that Constantine brought in the church since Revelation 17 and 5 says Babylon mothered all idolatry. And that means all the idolatry that Constantine was willing to bring down into Rome from the Goths, the Visigoths, the Huns, the Vandals, and the list goes on and on, and bring the Christians all into the same church, and by an edict of toleration, it was called the Edict of Milan. In 312 A.D., that's when Constantine issued that edict, and says we will all get along and come into the same church, and it will have a mixed religion between the Baal are the the sun worshippers, the tree worshippers, and that's what all of these people were worshiping. If all of it came out of Babylon, Israel was worshiping the same thing that these people were worshiping up here. When they brought it into Israel, God says, I'll scatter you, but I'm not scattering you to destroy you. I will bring you back. And he brought them, he gave the promise to bring them back in four decrees. These are the decrees that were issued by the Persian kings. God went unto the hearts of these Persian kings, went to the heart of of Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes gave two commandments, gave two decrees. One was to rebuild, to finish rebuilding the temple and then to rebuild Jerusalem. He gave that decree to rebuild Jerusalem in in uh, Nehemiah, the second chapter. Second chapter. And then De- Cyrus gave the first decree. And the la- when I said earlier, look at Second Chronicles. That's where Cyrus comes, uh, where Belshazzar comes in, the 36th chapter, and write the last couple of verses of that chapter, write the last couple of verses of that chapter, that's where Cyrus overthrows the Babylonian king, which is which is uh, uh, the last king of Babylon. And that was... 
Belshazzar. Yeah, I'll get it in a minute. That was Belshazzar, and he was the one that Cyrus overthrew and came in and slaughtered Babylon. And then Darius, in 520, he gave the second decree to reinforce the first decree. A lot of stories to that. And then while they were over here in Babylon, these kings gave these decrees to rebuild the temple, rebuild the city. And then while they were there in Babylon, the religious sector, or whoever it was, some men that called themselves rabbis, I don't know exactly how they brought that in. I don't know if anybody does know. But when they were in Babylon, they said, we will will transfer the law from Israel over into Babylon. And we'll translate it into the Babylonian We'll translate it into the Babylonian Aramaic. Anytime you have a translation, you go from one language to another. When the translators are not righteous, and they were not righteous, they translated the words to their own favor. These were the men who were predecessors to the Pharisees. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, they were called the rabbis of old times. And the old times is not talking about Old Testament times. It's talking about 600 years before when they were the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue. And what they did, they did the same thing the preachers are doing today. The preachers today will read a verse out of the Bible and then they'll put their spin on it. A spin is their inventions or their opinions. And what they do is pull out verses they like and they emphasize those without emphasizing the verses around them. That's what Baptists do. That's what Pentecostals and Charismatics do. That's what Church of Christ do. That's what they all do. They're putting their opinions on it. And you can't put your opinion on what the Bible means. That's what's going on in the Baptist churches. I know I was ordained a Baptist preacher in a Baptist church. My father was a Baptist preacher. My father made up stories about what he thought something meant. So did the Baptist preachers that I knew. I didn't know that till I got older and I studied the Bible for myself and I studied the Greek and the Hebrew and didn't know they didn't know what they were talking about. I knew something was wrong with my father's message when I was a teenager because he would lose his temper, go out and get, uh, go in a rage against somebody, run his car into them, run them off the road, get a hammer after them, cuss at them, use cuss words. And as a 15, 60-year-old, I'm saying... That's not right. I had conviction back then. I didn't cuss, but my father got to. If you think it's by example, he didn't set no example for me. I do remember the verses. He would quote the same seven or eight verses to every message. Now, when the, that's they did the same thing the Pharisees did. They started something in this Babylonian synagogue. I keep saying the synagogue 
was organized in Babylon. You cannot, anything that's organized in Babylon is false doctrine. They started the, what would originally end up to be the Talmud. It started with something called the Halakha. And the Haggadah. I've said it before, but let me say it again. Halakha was a verbal law. It was a verbal law that could not. They said it could not be written down. But any time the head rabbi would die, head rabbi, rabbi means master or teacher. That's why Jesus said, Call no man rabbi upon the earth. It says that in the 23rd chapter of Matthew. Don't call any man father. He said the head rabbi would, the new incoming rabbi, when the head rabbi died, would add his opinion to these laws, 613 laws that came out of the Torah, or what we call Pentateuch. Pentateuch comes from pent, meaning five. It means the first five books of the Bible. Torah means the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they would take their opinions and put it in here, in the Halakha, the verbal law. And when you look up the word tradition in the New Testament, it will tell you this is the word. Tradition is the word paradosis. And they'll tell you it means the traditionary law of Moses. Traditionary law. That means a tradition is something passed down from one generation to the X that doesn't have a foundation in truth. They took the truth and perverted it and twisted it. That's exactly what the American preachers are doing today when they talk about accept Christ, when you can't accept Christ, when you're dead in sin, when they talk about uh, sinner's prayer for salvation, you cannot, how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? There is no sinner's prayer when you're dead in sin. You cannot accept the things of God when you're dead in sin. God has to make you alive by His will. We are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God's will. So that's why we're born by the will of God. God has to come and move in your heart, change your heart to a different heart, make you a new creation. That's what He has to do. And you have to believe. You cannot pray until you believe God. But there's none that seeketh after God. None seeketh. If nobody seeks God when they're dead in sin, how does a man come alive by the will of God? God has people chosen before the... Without predestination, you can't tell the truth. 
God has preordained His people to birth them and to cause them to be obedient to Him. Whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. You have to be conformed to the image, the icon, the likeness. How long does it take God to conform you to His image? What, 30, 40 years, 50 years? And the older you get, the more you get rid of that outer man and more that God gets rid of the outer man. And you find that outer man in Romans 7. Romans 7. And in Second Corinthians 4. In Ephesians 4. Fourth chapter. And Colossians the third chapter. When he talks about putting on the new man in these verses. He's talking about putting on this New man is the inner man that causes the outer man to want to die over 40 or 30 or 40 or 50 years of time. You can't do that all of a sudden. So they preach all this stuff. Accept Christ's sinner's prayer. They preach tongues. When the Pentecostals don't know and don't even care, there's no such word as tongue in the Bible. That was a English translation from the years 1605 to 1611 when these translators came up with this translation. They used the word tongue for language. They say, forsooth, what tongue does thou speak, young man? Forsooth means of a truth. Tongue was either the word glossa, glossa, or dialectos. It's funny how the, all these preachers, they just read a verse and say, we're going to take tongue out of 1611 version of the King James Bible. That's not the word. It's either gloss or dialect. Gloss is the word in 1 Corinthians 14. And dialectos is the word dialect. Dialect in Acts 2. Acts 2 also has the word glossa. A glossary was a section of a book that words that are foreign to the average reader. Glossa means foreign language. They said, how here we every man in our own dialect. He said, Jim, you've said that over and over. Yeah, I'm going to keep on saying it because that's one of the dangerous doctrines of the world is the Pentecostal tongues, faith healing movement. None of it's true. Pentecostals are very dangerous to the Word of God. They don't care about gloss and dialects. They don't care about it. I'll correct them every time I get up. They're doing the same thing that the Pharisees were doing in the first century. But so are the Baptists talking about accept Christ when the natural man does not receive. Decomai does not accept the spiritual things of God. He's dead in his sin. There's no sinner's prayer. How could, how will they call on a God they don't believe in? They they look at Romans ten thirteen. They isolate it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So won't you come down the aisle while we sing just as I am over and over and over again and then we'll sing softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. Won't you come tonight and then we'll sing uh, another one of these almost persuaded. We've been here for an hour. Maybe we can convince you to come down and accept Christ. They can't if they're dead. But a lot of people get intimidated and walk down the aisle. I did. I walked in the aisle over and over and over again.
trying to accept Christ, not knowing what to do. I hate those doctrines with a passion. They're not true. And they preach all these other false doctrines. They do like the do like the Pharisees did. And by the time this Halakhon, the Haggadah, which is a written commentary, the funny thing to me, written commentary, and they say that that was a book of legends. Well, you talk about legends. The Haggadah is the most outrageous, stupid book that's ever been written. And then they took these two books and they went through a Midrash and a Mishnah and then 200 A.D. they put them all together and printed them in the form of the Talmud even though this these Halakas could not be written down. They're writing them down by 200 A.D. And these couldn't be spoken aloud and they're talking these aloud by 200 A.D. And they become the Talmud. The Talmud is garbage. But it's the same thing the Baptists are doing. i got some books I want to show you. I forgot I had this book. These are books on the Halakha and the Haggadah. And if you never heard of them, here's the Mishnah. This is a very well-known book among the Jews. If I get to reading in this book, the the things they said sound so ridiculous. They sound stupid. How What you can do on the Sabbath and what you can't do on the Sabbath. There's a... There's something here I've been meaning to read to you. They just make these things mean whatever they want it to mean. I just, I am so, but the Pharisees are not what bothers me. The Baptist preachers are what bothers me. There ain't no Pharisees around now except in among the Baptist preachers. That's all they are. They're the same thing. Let me see if I can find this. All right, hold on a second. Now, I got so many things to tell you on this. I can't get them all in. I just, there's no way to get them all in one message. All right. Well, let me show you something else here. I didn't even, I'd forgotten about this book right here. Traditions of the Rabbis from the era of the New Testament. The rabbis were the Pharisees. And this is volume 2A. I don't even have the other volumes. This is on feasts and Sabbaths, Passover and Day of Atonement. This is all about the feast days, what you can do and what you can't do, how many pounds you can lift, uh, what... You're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees said you couldn't lift but certain things. You were supposed to, according to their, according to their laws in the Arubic, E-R-U-B-I-C, E-R-U-B-I-C. Sometimes they put a K on it. Sometimes they just call it the Erub. You had to do three things on the day before the Sabbath. The Sabbath began at 6 o'clock 
on what we would call Friday evening. You're actually on Saturday at 6 o'clock Friday evening or when the sun goes down. Their days were from sundown to the next day at sundown because the evening and the morning were the first day and the evening and the morning were the second day and so forth. So they could had to do these things. They had to pay their tithe before 6 o'clock on Friday. Pay tithe. Uh, this was the Arubic. The Arubic or the Erub. Sometimes it will vary in its spelling. Had to pay the tithe, light a candle, Except they didn't use candle. They didn't have no candlesticks back then. They had to light a lamp. Anytime it says candle in the New Testament, they had a little bowl that they had a taper in. And they used that. They translated that candle. It was just a bowl with oil in it. And they had a taper on it. And they'd go around and light it and set it on something there. But they called it a candle. And they had to prepare food because they could not light a fire you could not light a fire on the Sabbath so that means they couldn't cook food on the Sabbath they couldn't light any kind of candle on the Sabbath they couldn't carry anything they couldn't move nothing no entertainment so these people are going to you're going to keep Sabbath you've got to pay your tithe you got a light a candle. So they gave you in this book, this Traditions of the Rabbis. It's very boring to read. <laughs> when you read it, you're going, what? But you got to think. This was the laws of the Pharisees. Let me just read a couple of things to you. If I bore you, please forgive me. It's not my words, it's theirs. They'll talk about lighting the Sabbath lamp, how you could light it. You could, uh, what cannot be used as a Sabbath lamp? Now, this will bore you to death. With what may one kindle the Sabbath lamp? And with what may one not kindle? One may not kindle with a cedar fiber. One, nor with a raw flax, nor with raw silk, nor with twisted fibers, nor with twisted desert fibers, nor with water weeds, seaweeds, nor may not fill a lamp, not with pitch. Just bored you yet. This is the Pharisees' laws. Nor with wax, nor with cottonseed oil, nor with oil which has to be burnt, because it comes from offerings which become impure, nor with sheep's fat tail, nor with other fat, Natum the Mede says, One may kindle with cooked fat, but the sages say it is the same, cooked or not cooked. One may not kindle it. How do you like that for laws of the Pharisees? That's why I have a hard time reading these laws to you, because they sound so stupid. Now listen to this. Comments. Food not be, could be taken out of the domain or out of the house on a Sabbath, if it be rescued from a fire, 
food can be, excuse me, food can be taken out of a domain, out of your house, on the Sabbath, if it is being rescued from fire, but only enough to provide the Sabbath meals for your family. You have to leave the rest to burn. Does that make any sense? It's dumb. The reason for allowing the rescue of the food might have been originally related to the saving life on the Sabbath, which was permitted. However, one meal would be sufficient to save life. They put laws on everything. To read this whole book, you've got to be stupid to read it. Jesus asked, is it lawful on the Sabbath to save life or to kill or destroy it? That's why he asked that. Every time he confronted the Pharisees was over these dumb laws. What they did is they took the laws of God and twisted them all to pieces. But the verbs apolume, destroy and loot, or apoketmeo, kill, as in Matthew, are inappropriate as descriptions of what would happen to a man with a withered hand if Jesus did not heal him. He goes to the comment about the Pharisees who strained a gnat and swallow a camel, possibly related to their scruples about killing on the Sabbath. You couldn't kill something on the Sabbath, not even a gnat. The guys were nuts. However, it is more probably related to the specific issue of what to do with gnats and wine. <laughs> I can't read all this to you. During the fast of the Day of Atonement, the subject of the tractate, Yoma, you can give any food to someone suffering bulimia. <laughs> That's where you've been starving yourself to death. Greek medical term for uncontrollable hunger or starvation. Though you may not eat a dog's liver <laughs> as a cure for rabies. Is this nutty? This is some of their laws. This is just a little bit of them. That's why Jesus was attacking them so much. But you know what? That wasn't as dangerous. These Baptist preachers that tell people you got to accept Christ and we'll give you an hour of invitation hymns to do it. Uh, let me see here. Uh, when Jesus asked rhetorically, is it lawful on the Sabbath day to save a life or destroy it? It is likely that he is alluding to this tradition that they had. The issue of bulimia may possibly lie behind the detail that the disciples who plucked corn on the Sabbath were hungry. And that's in Matthew 12. Look at Matthew 12. And this is why he dealt with them. Look here in Matthew 12. I can read these things to you all day long. And every time Jesus would approach them and deal with them, they had it written in their halakha. Or they hadn't have it written. They had it spoken in the halakha. Matthew 12. And he corrects them here. Because in their halakha, they said, you can't eat anything. You can't go into the field of a man on the Sabbath. Let me read this to you. And they evidently were just ignoring what the Bible said about this. At that time, if you'll notice, every time Jesus heals somebody, he makes it sure that he does it on the Sabbath day. 
because they said you can't heal a man on the Sabbath. He made the man to see that was blind on the Sabbath day in John the ninth chapter. And the Pharisees went to his mother. And the reason they did this, it was against their law to heal any, to do any kind of healing on the Sabbath. Any kind. Well, every time Jesus would heal, he healed that man in John 9. And they go to their son. They go to the son. Excuse me. They go to the parents of the son that's healed. They said, who healed your son? And they say, well, there's our son over there. He's a grown man. Ask him. And he go, they go over and say, who healed you? And he pointed at Jesus and said, he did. He was a. He said, I was blind and now I see on the Sabbath. And they said, well, how can he be a believer? He's a sinner. Anybody that what they were referring to, he healed on the Sabbath and that was in their halakha. You can't do that. He did the same thing in John the fifth chapter. It was a it tell why do you think every time he'd heal save somebody, it would say it was the Sabbath day? Because he was breaking the laws of the Pharisees. They were idiots. And then he says, Look here. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were in hunger and began to pluck the ears of corn and eat. When the Pharisees saw it, this is Sabbath day. They say they are harvesting, working. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that, which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. And Jesus said to them, Have you not read that David did when he was hungered, and there were with him, and how he entered into the house of God? This is over in First Samuel, when he was running from Saul, because Saul was trying to kill him. And he went to the high priest and said, I need something to eat. But they changed the showbread every every seven days so it must have been a time to change it and David did eat the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat have you not read that neither for them which were with him for only but the priest or have you not read in the law how that the Sabbath days the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath they're working all day long on the Sabbath offering sacrifices and are blameless? Have you not read that? But I say unto you, that in this place is one greater than the temple. The Pharisees said when the Messiah was come, he could dispense with the Sabbath as he pleased, and he's standing right there before them. But if you know what that meaneth, I will have mercy and not your sacrifices, not your rituals. He would not have condemned the guiltless. And then he says something that just galls them in verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What he was saying is, I am the Son of Man. I am God in the flesh. I'm Lord of the Sabbath, and you have said in your laws, when I come, I can dispense with it as I will. 
Beside that, he said in another place, they said in their laws, they said that God created man on the sixth day to put him in subjection to the Sabbath day. You have to understand, to the Pharisees and to the rabbis, the Sabbath was the most holy thing in all of their laws. If you defile that, you were in trouble. And Jesus was trying to show him every time he'd heal, he'd heal on the Sabbath day. So they could get mad at him and gripe and complain. Let me read some more of this. All right, let me just see. There's so many dumb things in here. May one slaughter a firstborn animal which falls into a pit on a high festival day on its way to be sacrificed. You can only bring it up from the pit if it is still unblemished for sacrifice because the temple sacrifice overrides the Sabbath. But you cannot examine it without bringing it up. Just stupid things. This is what the Pharisees did. All right. Read some more. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, prohibited leaving your home on the Sabbath. How many times have I read that in Exodus sixteen twenty nine? Going out of your place by the first century BCE, this had already been defined probably on the basis of Jeremiah seventeen twenty two, as prohibiting taking out of your house and bringing things in. You could not move anything. This is what these Seventh-day people don't understand. You couldn't leave your house. You couldn't go to a local temple to listen to anybody preach anything. You had to stay in your house and rest all day long. Sabbath means rest. Gosh, that's... How to celebrate the Passover meal. No food is eaten from the start of the afternoon daily offering till they recline at the Passover meal. Recline, that means to lay down. See, they're even verifying that they were at a triclinium table when they said this. Which includes at least four cups of wine. We know that's true. And the third cup was called cup of blessing. Paid by charity if necessary, if the blessing of the day before or after the blessing of the cup. Remember, the, Jesus took the cup and blessed it. That was the third cup of the Passover. They wouldn't eat crackers and drinking grape juice. They verified this in their book here. Unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and set paste. And they go on in this. That's, it's very boring to read. But it gives you what they were doing, along with this. Commentary on the New Testament of the Talmud and Hebraic tells you all about, this is written by Lightfoot, and he goes through verses in this. This is a five-volume set. And he goes through verses in it and tells you what the Pharisees said and what Jesus meant and how he was correcting them. He corrected him from the first message he preached. From the first message, Matthew 5 was the Sermon of the Mount. That was his first message. He was in northern Galilee on the side of a mountain 
and he was correcting the Pharisees every word of this chapter. He was hammering the Pharisees, but they wasn't anywhere near where he was preaching because he was up in Galilee. He was in northern Galilee, up on a mountain in Galilee, and the Pharisees wouldn't be caught dead in Galilee. They said that was a filthy place. And their complaint was, their complaint was, if this is the Mediterranean Sea and this is Israel on the eastern end, their complaint was, up here in Galilee, somewhere, this is southern Judah here that I want to do the separating line, southern Judah. Well, the Pharisees were in the temple, in around the temple in southern Judah. Jerusalem was in the land of Benjamin. That was in southern Judah. And they were make sure they're close to the temple. And they wouldn't step foot in northern Galilee. I've said this before. Jesus, this was his safety zone up there in northern Israel. He knew that when he had to come down, let me make it bigger than that. If this is Israel, and this is southern Judah, and here's the land of Benjamin, and in the land of Benjamin is the temple. And he's just a foot, a few feet away from stepping into northern Israel. So whenever they're going to try to take him while he's preaching to somebody and healing somebody in the temple on the Sabbath, all he has to do is get out of the temple and he knew how to elude these Pharisees. He was God. He knew which way to go, where to walk in the crowd. And once he got across the border there, they wouldn't go into the northern Israel. They said it was corrupt. The reason they wouldn't go into northern Israel, when the Assyrians had carried them away 722 years before Jesus, 722 B.C., when they'd carried these people of Assyria away into captivity up into between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, Caspian Sea, as I've showed you over there, this is where they were carried to. They were carried away up into this area up here. That's when northern Israel was carried away. When they were carried away, the Assyrians' soldiers came in and intermarried the people in northern Israel, and they brought their sun and tree worship into northern Israel. They brought their sun and tree worship into northern Israel, wherever they're settling, and brought their sun and tree gods in and mixed their sun and tree worship with, with Jehovah worship. That's why, I've said this before, that's why when Jesus is up here in northern Israel at Jacob's well, and Jacob's well was in northern Israel, and he tells this woman in John 4, you are up here in northern Israel, you worship you know not what, you don't even what you're worshiping. Because the, the, the worship of, that they had in northern Israel was a mixed religion and it was mixed between Jehovah and sun and tree worship of the Assyrians. So the, the, the Pharisees wouldn't step foot there. If they were, they'd even make trips to go up here to Tyre and Sidon. And they considered Tyre and Sidon not near as wicked as northern Israel because of all that sun and tree worship. But that's what they had up here. 
the reason they didn't like it was because was because they had a mixed religion. What's so funny is the Pharisees down here in southern Judah, they had a mixed religion too. They had their opinions about the Holocaust mixed with Jehovah worship. So they had a mixed religion too. But the reason they wouldn't go into northern Israel because it was the mixed religion of sun and tree with Jehovah worship. And they had Jehovah worship mixed with rabbi worship out of Babylon. That was a twisted halakal. Just like the preachers today in America have a twisted doctrine. Well, the Bible says that the day of Christ's coming will not come this is prophesied in the world today that the false doctrine will be out there. When you look in in Second Thessalonians three, or two and three, the Bible says it refers back to the first chapter for Second Thessalonians. It refers back to one one and verse eight, verse seven and eight that the Lord will come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel. Christ is going to come in vengeance, revenge, if men are not obeying the gospel. What is the gospel? Every time you find the word E-U-A-G, G-E-L-I-O-N that is the word gospel that's our word evangelize E-U-A-G-G-E-L-I-Z-O is the word evangelize and preach the gospel as evangelion one is the word evangelize preach the gospel those are the word of the gospel it is the good message the you angelos, a, the good message of Christ. And the Bible tells us in Luke 3. Here's what the gospel is. Luke 3 and verse 3. John the Baptist came preaching the gospel, which was prepare ye the way of the Lord. We know that prepare the way is the gospel because Mark the first chapter, verse 1 through 3 says, the beginning of the gospel, as it was written by the prophets, particularly by Isaiah over in Luke 3, Esaias, Isaiah, which was prepare you the way. This is the gospel. Prepare the way. Way is the word hodos. There's two ways. If you preach the gospel, you will preach the narrow way as opposed to the broad way. And if a person doesn't believe in the narrow way, he's not a believer. Narrow is the word Thalibo. And Thalibo is the, is the verb form of, of the noun form of the word Thalipsis. And Thalipsis is the word tribulation. We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. If that is the way, that is the beginning of the gospel, and that is the true baptism. John came preaching the baptism of repentance, which was prepare you the way. The, bat, the true baptism is a blood baptism. That is a death. A blood baptism is a death 
And a book baptism is the same thing as drinking a cup. Drinking cup. And that's what we do in remembrance of Christ. We drink the cup and we eat of the bread, which is the body, which is the church. Eat of body, the church. That's what we do. So, the day of the Lord will not come except to come a falling away first. This is what's going on in America in the churches. The falling away is here. It's here. The word falling away is the word apostasis. Apostasis. Apostasis means the removal. Apo, removal of stasis. Stasis means to stand upright. Stand upright. And a man who is said to standing upright in the first century was said to be bearing his cross. And we get the word staros from the word stasis. Staros. And that is the word cross. And to bear a cross is the same thing as drinking a cup. So the falling away is here. There has to be a removal of the daily cross in the believer's life. And they hated the daily cross. In Philippians, the third chapter, Paul said, this is the reason preachers what preaching what they're preaching. He said, you hate the daily cross. He didn't say the daily cross, but he said the cross of Christ. And we know it's the daily cross because of what it says right after that. You hate the cross of Christ because your God is your belly. Belly was an Epicurean term. It meant the seat of all sensual desires. Seat of, didn't mean just the stomach. It meant the seat of sensual desires. A person who wants to fulfill all his sexual desires, all of his physical desires for the cars and the houses and the things and the stuff. That's the reason they hated the daily cross. Their God was their belly. That's what's happening in the churches today. Their God is their belly. These Baptist preachers, I was raised among them. I preached in Baptist churches all over America. I can tell you what they believe. Nothing. Every one of them gives invitation hymns and begs people to walk down the aisle and accept Christ. Every one of them. I know what they preach. I had to wake up one day and turn around and look at all the Baptists preach and say, you people don't believe nothing. They called themselves conservative Bible believers. That's what Donald Trump called all of his followers from TBN, Bible, conservative Bible believers. I believe he was conning them and they were conning him. That's what I believe. That was a con job going on both sides of the fence because they didn't believe anything about the truth. And Franklin Graham tells everybody to accept Christ just like his daddy did. It's not true. You can't accept Christ. That's And what they're doing is they're lying. They've fallen away from the truth. And the Bible says their God is their belly because... Here's why their God is their belly. It says this. They mind earthly things. Their mind, 
this is really, I've made this plain in many messages. This is really what people hate the daily cross. Because there's mind. This wouldn't be they hate the wooden cross that Jesus died on because they mind earthly things. Roman Catholics got a crucifix with a wooden cross there and Jesus dying on it. That's a crucifix. But Roman Catholics, they love earthly things. They're froneo. Mind is the word froneo. P-H-R-O-N-E-O. Their sentiment. Their feelings. The reason they hate the daily cross, hate daily cross, their God is their belly, the belly being the seat of all sensual desires, and their mind, their froneo, is their sentiment is on earthly. Gay is the word earthly. Gay is the word soil or dirt. I keep saying they love dirt. That's all they like. Well, what is dirt that they love? A car. Doesn't a car come out of the ground? Doesn't it come out of dirt? Don't they put it into some... They dig, they dig certain things out of the ground. They put it in a steel factory. They mold it into a car. Doesn't that come out of the ground? They like their house too much. They want to say, look at my house. Look how beautiful it is. I got a better house than you've got. They like their dirt house. They go to a job or work on a job. They get a paycheck that is that either grew out of a tree or they made it out of some synthetic. That's their paycheck. It just came out of the ground. It came out of dirt. They like dirt. They don't want to crucify the flesh. They like their boat. They Their boat's made out of dirt. They go on a vacation, drive a dirt car. They put dirt gasoline in their car. I'm sorry, but gasoline come out of the ground, didn't it? Under so much pressure over so many years, they like their dirt diamond ring. We know where diamond rings come from. They're cold under a lot of pressure. That's all it is. There was an old country song. I'm just an old hunk of coal. I'm going to be a diamond someday. That's just really the truth because coal has been under pressure for thousands of years or millions of years. I don't know how long. becomes a diamond. It's just, I don't care how big the diamond is, it was just an old chunk of coal one time. They like dirt. They go on a vacation, get in their dirt car, drive drive 300 miles or drive up here to Gatlinburg, 175 miles in East Tennessee, and they get them a nice fancy uh, log house in the woods and rent that for a few days. And that's made out of logs which came out of the ground, and it's all dirt. And they go up there and stay so many days and walk through those dirt buildings up there and buy dirt things with their dirt money. Everything you see is made out of dirt. And boy, a man puts such a value on it, doesn't he? And they cheat for dirt and they lie for dirt. I hope I would say this correctly. 
Their mind is on dirt. Their God is their belly and their mind's on dirt. If you put that much value on your property, something's wrong with you. I don't care. If you'll just give me a room with my books in it, I could live happily there from now on. Just give me my books and a Bible and a strong concordance and and I'll be happy. I don't need stuff to be happy. So that's why these preachers, they like dirt. You know why preachers preach these lies and make the gospel of Christ uncomfortable? Well, they hate tribulation. They hate the gospel. They don't know what the gospel is. They think the gospel is Christ resurrecting from the dead once a year on Easter. That was a doctrine that ate like a canker that Hymenaeus and Philetus preached in Second Timothy, the second chapter. They preached a doctrine that ate like a gangrene. The word canker is gangrenos. G-A-G-G. R-A-I-N-O-S. Two G's together is pronounced N-G. Two G's together. Gangrenos. It aches like a gangrene. They preached a doctrine that ate like a gangrene. Gangrene, I read in a book, travels at something like six inches per hour. It's just deadly. If you get gangrene, you're going to be dead very quick if you don't have that part of your body removed. It it moves fast. And he said they preach a doctrine... Hymenaeus and Philetus preached a doctrine. And here was their doctrine. And this is a dangerous doctrine. They actually preached, get saved one night. That means daily cross, one time, the night you got saved. That's not the way they puts it in the Bible. Is they preach the doctrine that eats like a gangrene. Here's what it is. It says the same thing as get saved one night. They preach the resurrection. Was past. That's all they said. Resurrection anastasis. That cannot be possibly the resurrection of Christ because anastasis is feminine gender. It's feminine. What does that mean? That means resurrection means to come to life, anastasis, come to life after dying. Come to life after dying. Well, what do they mean? It was past. The word past is genomai. Has the same meaning as as daily cross one time. I got saved one night. They're saying the resurrection of the believer, how can that be feminine gender? The church is feminine. 
the church is the wife, the bride of Christ. If you believe that you got saved one time and it's over, that's a doctrine that eats like a gangrene. You're not saved one night. What? Here's another one of the doctrines that all those Baptist preachers preached when I was a kid growing up. They preached saved is something you got one time and it's done. That's not saved. Saved is the word sozo. Sozo means to be taken from one point all the way to another point and all that time you're going through trials, tribulation. Oh, by the way, that tribulation, that's the gospel. We said that. We said that the gospel which prepare you the way and the narrow way is the same thing as tribulation, thalipsis. Or thalibo, T-H-L-I-B-O. One is the verb, the other is the noun. Tribulation, fire. All through this, this is all wrapped up in one verse in in First Timothy one and six. Well, well not First Timothy, Ephesians one and six. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it all the way until Jesus Christ. That's what saved is. Sozo. It doesn't mean something you got one night. That's what this doctrine of Hymenaeus and Philetus was. They said it happened one time. You died that time to self, and there's no more dying. That's not true. Paul said, I die daily. I'm crucified with Christ daily. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the the life that I live, I live by the faith that God gave me, gave His Son for me. I live by that faith. Faith is death to self. So if you're not dying daily, you don't believe. You're preaching the doctrine of Hymenaeus and Philetus. That word "pass" genomai was a means a. It's a perfect verb. Perfect verb, that means what happened in the past. In the past, the night you so-called got saved, that was the only resurrection there was. It was a past tense verb that was completed in the past. That's a perfect verb. The resurrection is past. It's something that happened back here that don't have to happen anymore. If you're getting miserable, you're supposed to be miserable. Being a believer. Does anybody ever get miserable besides me? Boy, I do. I get worried. I get depressed. I get down. Sometimes I go for two and three and four weeks just depressed out of my mind. How can you say you're supposed to be that way? We were predestined to be conformed to the image, the icon of Christ. And what was he? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Acquainted with grief. And how do you get sorrowful and acquainted with grief? Ecclesiastes one eighteen. In much wisdom is much grief. The wiser you get, the older you get, and the wiser you get. And he that increaseth knowledge increases sorrow. 
throw your Bible away and quit increasing your knowledge and you won't be as sorrowful as you're going to be. You're supposed to be sorrowful and filled with grief. Are we going through that? What makes us do that? I look at these preachers lying through their teeth. They're doing the same thing the Pharisees were doing 2,000 years ago. Twisting the Word of God. They're perverted. Billy Graham was perverted. Charles Stanley was is perverted. Adrian Rogers was perverted. To say that Oral Roberts was perverted is to put it very mildly. I believe Oral Roberts is in hell. I don't believe... You don't have a daily cross. They never preach that. They're not, they couldn't have gone to heaven. I don't believe Bill Graham. I ever heard him preach the daily cross and death to self. He, he that beareth not his cross and followeth after me daily cannot be my disciple. You can't be a follower of Christ. I tell people that often. You cannot be a follower of Christ without a daily cross. Does that make you miserable? When people want to persecute you for telling them the truth? Mike that wrote me from Las Vegas. Mike, you're in good company. You're in the same company with me and the rest of the people here. Every day. When you feel bad, you're supposed to feel bad. Because you know the truth. You don't hear any preachers saying it. I listen to preachers all the time. Not to get instruction from them. To hear their lies and their errors so I can preach against them when I get in the pulpit. I want to know what the enemy is saying. I consider the Baptist preachers in America my enemy. I'm the biggest enemy that the charismatics have in the world. I'll tell off on them every day. I'm sick of them. Didn't like, didn't, didn't like Oral Roberts, didn't like Benny Hinn, do not like Creflo Dollar. The guy's a con man telling people, bring your money down, throw it on the altar. Thank God for money is the way they put it. T.D. Jakes. These guys are crooks. They're legal criminals. How can they be legal? You can start a church on any subject. You can start a church worshiping every doorknob you see and call it the church of the doorknob. And you can get you a tax-free paper on that. Just start your church and say we worship doorknobs. And they'll get you a tax-free paper, and you can do everything tax-free. That's what Robert says. That's what T.D. Jake says. That's what Joyce Myers and all the rest of those con men, Paul Crouch, Jan Crouch, and and what's his name that died recently out there in California? Can't even think of his name. Price. Price. Fred Price. I don't see how Fred Price got into heaven. All he preached was a money gospel. He preached a, a Rolls Royce gospel. He said, I'm riding through a poor part of town. I'm in my Rolls Royce and I pass somebody on a bicycle. I say, you've got bicycle faith. I've got Rolls Royce faith. That ain't nothing to do with faith. Nothing. They're criminals. They, they, you know what? God's going to put them in an eternal hell one day. I can't even get to all these books as I've got. There's a whole set of books on these doctrines of the Pharisees. Here's a literature of the sages. Oral Torah, Halakha, Mishnah, Tosefta, 
I was going to read something out of the Tosefna today, but I didn't have time. Talmud, external tractates. They've got some of the craziest things in here. It'll tell you all about what they said. They strained at gnats and swallowed a camel. That's also one of their laws. They didn't want to kill a gnat. On, I told y'all last time I preached, a chicken that ate a lay, ate, laid an egg on the Sabbath. The school of Shammai said you could eat the egg, but the school of Hillel, which the real liberal school, said you couldn't eat it if it laid. That the chicken, that the chicken was violating the Sabbath to work on the Sabbath, laying an egg on the Sabbath. Stupid, dumb. They said if an egg laid in a hot water on the Sabbath that it was cooked, that the water was guilty of violating the Sabbath. What if you gave birth on huh? the Sabbath day? What if a person gave birth on the Sabbath day? <laughs> Have to be barred. <laughs> it just... But you know what? They're not any worse than these guys today. Telling you an easy walk down the aisle will get you home free. They'll tell you just say such stupid things that you can sit with your mouth and create your own world. It's not true. How can you create your own world when God has already declared the end from the beginning, from ancient times, everything that's not yet done? How can they change the will of God? They can't. They can cheat and lie and steal, but that was also in God's will, and it's also God's will to send them to hell. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, I feel so unworthy and so short on expressing your word to these people. I pray that you'll strengthen the flock wherever they are. The people that are associated with this ministry, give them strength to bow under your hand, to bow to everything you want them to do. We pray that you'll Strengthen the people that are here. It's really hard to know that you have to suffer, Lord, that this is required. We have to be grieved and sorrowful if we're doing what you want us to do. And we'll give you the praise for everything. Fight every battle we have, Lord, in Christ's name we pray, man. I I just barely get started on these guys, and I can't really fully express it all I wish I could wish I could say everything I wanted to say it's just so much to this it's a lot of information it is tremendous information why but nobody wants it I don't know I I believe they don't want it because they don't have ears to hear they just don't care Paul uses that word dirt a lot. He uses it in Colossians, the third chapter, and the first verse. I believe he uses the word earthly or dirt. When you say what earthly means, dirt, it really makes it... That can be convicting, can it? It just means dirt. That's all it means. 
Huh? Well, that'll be the the doorknob of eternal life. You could. They started religions on everything. When you get into the pagan religions, it's just they've got it everywhere. I mean, they worship Buddha, which is the third ray of light from his mother's left armpit. I mean. Huh? They still, they still worship Buddha. Yeah. Buddha is a big thing. Yeah. Well, that's. I think that's. I think. I've had people say. I've had people say, "Don't tell me I'm no more. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be responsible." I've had them say that to me. I see you're already responsible because you know there's something to learn that you don't want to learn. So that exactly. makes you responsible for breaking the thing that you don't want to learn. Exactly. They're still responsible anyway. I had a lady tell me one day, uh, she said, you came into our office a couple of weeks ago, you had on a shirt that said, God doesn't love everybody. Isn't that right? I said, well, the Bible says God loves Jacob and hated Esau before either one of them was. She said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I don't hear it. <laughs> Just like that's going to keep him from getting into and trouble. And when she said it? that, I said, you're ignorant. She said, you don't have to be insulting. I said, I'm not being insulting. Ignorant means unlearned. You're absolutely unlearned about these things. 